great Redeemer, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty, hold me with thine powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till my want is o'er, want is o'er. Please all be seated. Welcome <laughs> to the chapel of this <laughs> Nintendo life. I am your priest uh, for today, Lord NBZ. Lord NBZ himself. Lord, Lord, Lord literally Lord NBZ. Uh, and what you just heard, of course, is everyone's favourite hymn, hymn number 247. Um, you all join us today for a very special episode, a very special moment for this podcast that has been building to for almost 10 years. Uh, episode 247. Um, now, you might be confused. Why the hell did you open this episode singing a hymn? Uh, what's going on there? <laughs> Does it make any sense? Um, well, it will all make sense. And I will hand you over to um, to our chaplain of uh, this particular chapel, uh, uh, Bali, uh, you know, um, who, who has uh, many things to say uh, about this particular thing. Yeah, wh- where to start? Um, well... For those who don't know, me and MBZ have known each other a very long time, and we went to school together since the age of five. And when we were uh, little lads around... when did, So we joined the choir, basically. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think we joined the choir at the age of about... Hmm, nine, ten? Probably a little younger, maybe. Eight? Yeah. Um, yeah maybe around that age because so here's the thing right like to join the choir there was but we had music class okay and we had a music teacher and our music teacher basically the entire audition for the choir was it was basically like sing one line or something like that and just during one of our music classes one time he just went around the room and was like okay everyone individually had to sing a thing and then literally based on that he was like all right you guys are in the choir you guys are not in the choir it was a very like i remember it quite clearly but it's a very quick decision snap decision that happened basically um of whether we could be in the choir or not um and so we were chosen for the choir ballet um and uh and obviously the choir uh was in a special place in in the chapel and so we were like you know up at the front very cool people doing cool stuff um but the thing about being in choir was that you had to go and uh do choir choir practice uh, on uh, lunches um and you know we're like nine-year-olds we're idiots like we're just we're pissing about constantly we're there for we're ready for a free burger yeah exactly yeah and and what, what i did as well which is to um to make the weirdest concoctions possible which is to take a combination of coke and iron brew and mix it together and then take a, a packet of crisps and a biscuit and then dip them in the concoction of coke and iron brew and be like look at me guys i'm cool i eat weird food um so uh, so that was a but our, our school definitely lured people to join the choir mm-hmm. with the promise of junk food so this exactly was iron brew coke burgers chips Every yep. thir- Thursday, I want to say it was. A I Thursday. think it was, yeah. yeah every yeah. Thursday lunchtime, and you got to eat outside. It got like taken outside, and you just had like, it was great. You had like lunch outside, and then the downside <laughs> was you then went inside back into the chapel, and you had to practice choir during your lunch break because that was mm-hmm. choir lunch. You get the junk food in return for the singing, and then yeah, exactly as you as you said, Emmy said, guide me over thou great Jehovah or Redeemer, depending yeah. on the version. Of this, of we, we did Redeemer, Redeemer at our, was at our first school. school, yeah, and Jehovah was at our second school. Mm-hmm. 
not going to name drop the schools, but from what we've described, you can probably guess the type of schools we were at. Yeah, aha, uh-huh, yeah. Um, very posh boy little schools with chapels and all and hymns and and organs and very classical this kind of thing. Yes, um, yeah. So yeah, and hymn number two four seven, we would sing this hymn, and we'd have these hymn books, and miraculously, on occasion, because we'd we'd sing every morning in chapel. This wasn't just at choir practice choir lunch yeah. this was every single morning and it would be a different hymn every morning and so like um the uh you know it would go up on the board and it would be this the, today's hymn is this number and basically one day what happened was we were you know at the start of the day you know is is the hymn and we're looking at it and I, th- I can't remember who it was but someone with their hymn book um like has it and the the hymn book just opens as yeah. if an act of god the hymn book just magically opens to hymn 247 yes. and we're like holy shit yep. what just happened god truly is real um and now we must praise him in this very weird way so what we decided was we were going to uh we we're gonna fuck with it right and we were gonna make sure that the <laughs> next time 247 happened all of us would be able to do the same thing. So here's what we did, everybody. We took those hymn books <laughs> across our line and we bent them. We bent the fuck out of them. We bent <laughs> them on page 247 where the hymn was and we made sure that the next time the 247 popped up, all of us in a row could put our hands out with those books and it would automatically just automatically. go to hymn 247. Exactly. Um, and I think it took like, I don't know, six months or so. It was. It took a while to like rotate through I mean, hymn um, number 247. Hymns. It comes around uh, fair frequent pace like, yeah we're talking every few weeks it came yes. back right here we go hymn um, number 247 do i have a book that does it and then we'd open the book and occasionally would you believe it hymn number 247 would just appear and it was just mm-hmm. like this magical thing but here's the weird thing is that later in life and as the years went by this number 247 24 you find it appears everywhere now mm-hmm. there's a number of reasons why it appears everywhere because it's also 24 7 and everywhere is open right. 24 7 will always yeah. have a 24 slash 7 so you find yourself seeing this number so this number that was associated with like our childhood and our friendship in the choir we would just see it everywhere to the point where 247 i mean you played like jrpgs and games with numbers in them and the mm-hmm. number just appears everywhere it's always yep. 247 i i keep i keep seeing it to this day um so, we yes. message each other all the time when we see 247 <laughs> stuff. We're just like, oh, by the way, I saw this thing 247. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things that just like carried on through. Beep, beep, beep. Uh, hey, editing NBZ here. And just to uh, jump off that point, I just got a new debit card in. And not to dox myself, but um, the numbers of that credit card include 247. So it really is everywhere. And uh, it always follows us around and never leaves us. Uh, it will be here forever. Uh, back to the show beep 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 uh for for a long long period of time um so yeah it's um it's a myth a legend and um yeah very much tied up in uh in how long we've known each other right. for and the weird stuff that we've done and i remember so, when um, we when we started this podcast we thought it's gonna be a damn long time before uh-huh. we reach episode number 247 and right because um, for regular shows that's about 500 episodes to get to that point. yeah um so yeah we're we're pretty shocked we've made it this far and we're also mm-hmm. very proud that we can celebrate this number there's a big part of our friendship here on this podcast mm-hmm. that we put together absolutely it's very yeah what a celebration indeed 
So there you go. The first 10 minutes of the show dedicated to explaining the lore of 247 uh, on this 247th episode. Now, people probably have a number of follow-up questions. So if you have follow-up yes. questions to anything we've explained... Hit us up in the Discord. The link to the Discord we'll is in the um, show notes. Um, but yeah, if you want to discuss hymns and choirs and prep school and all that sort of stuff then uh then let us know and um you know if you want me to you know if you can book me for your wedding if you want me to do some more singing for you or like good stuff um yeah uh it's uh it's good fun so um uh, i i definitely i also i feel like my singing voice is different when i do hymns versus any other kind of thing like i lean into the um the kind of uh i don't know the tenor the yeah the like the kind of like highfalutin uh kind of vocal of uh, of singing a hymn right there's mm. a um there's a presence there's like a uh i don't know there's there's a difference to it uh, as opposed to singing anything else so yeah, yeah. um there you go i don't did know did you sing tenor until the end of your singing career uh i, I mean obviously at the time know. we were soprano because we were yeah like, pre i, I probably, don't think i can do a proper tenor if i'm honest like i i did do bass when we were um on x school when really? I, I did a bit more quite yeah i did i, I was did do tenor bass. till the i can i can swap between tenor and bass yeah i think i tenor is can get really fucking difficult uh because it can go it, very very true. high but um but then you can yeah. just drop it d- down low you just yeah low exactly high, then, yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. um it it's tough um but uh, we should know. join the choir again one day oh man i love it honestly <laughs> it's um yeah i did as much as i'm like uh very i would say anti-church as an establishment right. i think the the very idea of choir uh, anti-church yeah exactly it's a weird <laughs> weird place to be in i've got a that's... real love for when like christmas rolls around we'll always put yes. on the cambridge um um what they call king's college cambridge choir. yeah yeah you yeah, know yeah. i i appreciate that far more than your standard christmas bollocks music which mm-hmm. is just awful um so i will that's the one time of year that a choir is always on in our flat yeah god bless you merry gentlemen shout out oh, what a fucking true. banger of a song uh so yeah i have a lot of fondness for all of that and also i have a lot of fondness for um the descant uh which is i think one of the yes. best parts of being in choir was getting to sing the descant oh you get to do the little special bit yeah exactly so if you don't know what a descant is it's basically like in the final verse of a lot of hymns and mainly this is around christmas i would say yeah um the final verse of a lot of hymns the choir would sing like a special version of it that was like um it's a tune on top of the existing tune that right is- it's a- it's a harmony essentially it's um, more than it, at points it does harmonize but it's yes. more than a harmony because it, it's, yeah. it's like an entire separate thing that complements the existing tune that the rest of right. the congregation are singing so mm-hmm. if you're part of the congregation and i found this a lot at our second school where i wasn't in the choir at an older age where you could hear the choir singing uh-huh. the desk and, and then and then because my brain went back into first school mode where yep. I, like, I know this desk and then i'd start singing the desk yep. but, but i can't sing the desk i'm in the congregation no. i'm not meant to sing this and my uh-huh. brain would get like stuck between the two and it was god i got so fucked up oh, by that shit because i i would i would want to sing it so bad and then i'd realize that my voice wasn't high enough anymore because <laughs> i wasn't a child so i couldn't do like the um the the high because it tended to be quite high a lot of those ones mm. and um yeah that was that was tricky but um yeah to desk hands uh, very very cool um there we go so um so yeah there you go uh hello welcome to this video game podcast by yeah. the way where we talk about nintendo uh and uh, we're gonna talk about nintendo today uh pally do you want to let the fine folks at home know what today's show is gonna entail uh well for the remaining part of the first segment we're going to talk about the games that we have been playing and for our second segment we have some emails of that you kind listeners have sent in so we're going to cover absolutely those. 
Yeah, feel free to send in uh, emails, uh, you know, asking about hymns and stuff. You know, that'll be good for the future because <laughs> we have uh, so much knowledge on it. Um, so let's get into the video games that we have been playing. Uh, and Bali, brand new release came out. Nintendo, in their infinite wisdom, decided, oh, you know, Zelda's coming out in a few weeks. Lol, how about we drop, like, a 30-hour expansion to Xenoblade 3? Well, fear not, because MBZ loves to inhale Uh Xenoblades. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that's exactly what I did. Uh, I finished this thing, 25 hours, um, and I did it in the space of... I mean, it hasn't been a week yet since the game came out, and, uh, yeah, I was done with it. And also, I was pretty busy, because I was, like, at home. I saw you one night, so that was, like, a whole night of not playing Xenoblade. Um, um, We've had, like, Korean barbecue since we last recorded. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, um, so, you know, and also I was away, like the day it came out, I was, I was doing some, uh, some talks, I was giving some talks in the games industry. And, um, then I came back and I was like, well, uh, all I'm going to do now is play Xenoblade. And the first night when I got back, I got back only uh, like, I don't know, seven, seven o'clock ish. And I somehow played five hours that night. I don't know how, but, um, but I'd already put five hours into the thing. And, um, yeah, I mean, obviously if you listen to the show for a long time, uh, you'll know that this is like pretty much my favorite rpg series at this point in time i think it's my number one um and it's very special to me i i I was very enamored with the first game and really bowled over by it um and it is one of the first games that i really talked about in depth on on this show back at the very beginning because i i got it i did get it in 2011 so it's been about 12 years now since um that first game for me because it came out in the uk in 2011 right after skyward sword or around the time actually it was before skyward sword but i played it after skyward sword um but it was the end of 2011 and then obviously it took a while to come out uh in north america so it's been like over a decade of this series and it's really risen to prominence right like it's one of those series that nintendo initially weren't even going to localize for north america and now you know it's ending nintendo directs and stuff like that with a third entry so um it's definitely risen its significance uh, a significant amount and i think there's a lot of amazing things um about the series and i i think that like it feels like a journey that is kind of coming to an end here because really this final piece this last kind of dlc for xenoblade 3 feels like it is putting the bow on this saga that has been told um and the callbacks and the references and and so much of it is is just so rich and fulfilling for people who have followed the series for a long time what i will say is you can't really talk about this game without spoiling a lot of elements of not only Xenoblade 3 but the entire series itself so if you're wary about that stuff and you and you plan to play these games in the future or if you think for example you know um I want to uh, I, I want to stay completely fresh on every single aspect um I would maybe stay clear of this a little bit uh, of what I'm about to talk about because there's there's some stuff and obviously it was part of the trailers as well right it's very clear that hey uh, his characters from the first and second game and and there's other stuff going on here so it's very clear that uh you know if you haven't followed the series up to this point you might want to just jump out because yeah it's it's pretty much impossible to talk about this dlc without discussing those elements um so we'll put a timestamp here or whatever and, and people can jump out but um but this basically uh, ties up a lot of kind of meta elements of the narrative right there there are things from the first game the second game like the end of both those games and the way they tie together and the way that it links into the third game there's a conversation in this game where they're just like 
we're just going to talk about the Trinity processor, and we're just going to say Ontos and Logos and Numa, and people are, if you haven't played the games, you're going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, there's there's real lore deep dives in the middle of this thing, where I, I was pretty, like, surprised that they did it, and, like, I'm pretty... Is it, like, fake Latin? Yeah, well, no, I mean, all those all those things are, are words that ref- refer to things in the, kind of, not meta-narrative, but, like, the wider what is going on with all these games, mm. right? Um, and... And so, like, if you, again, if you haven't played the whole series up to this point, all three games, you're going to be a bit lost when that stuff pops up. And I think the nice thing about Xenoblade 3 and all the games is, is that they are standalone stories, right? Like the story of Noah and Mio and their, their entire crew is has like a huge emotional heart to it and center and hits incredibly hard just knowing those characters and what's going on. And then there's a little extra sprinkled on top, right? This DLC, Future Redeemed, feels like... It, it's more than sprinkled on top like it is the kind of core of the experience because you have an older rex you have an older shulk um you have these characters who are clearly their children but they don't know they're their children because of the setup of this world and what's happened in that you know the the entire idea of this it was basically fused together the worlds and the entire data for both worlds were stored in origin this giant kind of giant supercomputer and what happened is that people get spat back out into the system into an endless cycle of death and rebirth where they live for 10 years and then they die and they go back again and so you know these characters who are clearly the kids of of rex and shulk and they don't they never actually outright say it but it's like very obvious and and talked about and you know even before this this dlc came out everyone's like well that's clearly shulk's son and that's clearly that's like a little pyra so that's clearly rex's daughter right um and it's really interesting having that having that tension between those characters where you now have these 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 kind of main characters from the previous series who are now the Dunban kind of like equivalent where they are the older statesmen they are the kind of mentors the master figures um and how they interact with those those younger characters i think is super interesting um and and like this game is just riddled with references mainly for the first game and i, I say that that's why this this feels like such a full circle moment because you go to colony nine the original colony nine and holy shit the moment that i heard the music kick in for colony nine I just felt like flooded with nostalgia, even though I played as uh, Definitive Edition only a couple of years ago. Like I have such a strong personal connection and emotional connection to that music it's and a that good, time. It's a good tune. It's a, it's a banger. It's amazing. Yeah, and like just the music of the surrounding area, and then going into Colony Nine, and like there are moments of like, oh shit, that's Outlook Park. That's like where Fiora and Shulk had that sandwich at the beginning of the game. And like the really nice thing is that there are these moments, these affinity scenes where um they they'll basically just be like circles on the ground that are. And you walk up to them, and it will play out. It will basically do a kind of a, a scenic view, and characters will have conversation in the background. And so, like Shulk is describing, like I used to come here, and you know all that sort of stuff, and basically nostalgically reflecting on the past. Um, same with Rex, with certain places that you go to because you know the world is a merge of, of one and two. Like there, there are some really funny moments as well, where like. In in the original Xenoblade, there is a there's a part of the game where you come up to this um, this kind of like broken off uh, edge, and you're going up these stairs, and you're coming to the edge of this place, and there's like a special item there, so you're just going to go and collect it, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and I can't remember if this ever happened to you, Bally, but like a giant spider will just kind of crawl out in front mm. of you, and it's one of those iconic yeah. moments from Xenoblade where you you're like, oh shit, like as a player, you're like, oh fuck, that fucking giant spider came and attacked me, and the characters don't comment on it in the game at all. It's just like it's <laughs> an in-world moment this is normal <laughs> this is normal yeah but but then there's a scene uh, in this game where shulk is like 
yeah, I remember that place. There was, there was a big surprise oh, at the end of funny. that for us. And yeah. I was like, that's so cool. Like, I love that they are... Th- this this was clearly made by people with reverence and love for that original game and the source material in every way. Um, and there are so many little nods here and there. Like, the gem, the original gem crafting machine, you can fix it as part of a side quest in this game. And, like, there's callbacks to, like, oh, that old gem man, he didn't think that this would still be working, uh, you know, in this weird space-time continuum thing where we're in a different world, but with the same stuff going on um it's it just has such a love for it and i think that comes through really strongly um but also like obviously it's, it's telling a new story and the main character of this game is very different from the main characters in previous xenoblade games he feels more like a Ryan or like a um you know like a, a more kind of brutish character uh he's called matthew and his accent is like it's like, oh, it's, it's me, Matthew, mate. I'm like, you're, you're, London. what are you doing? He's like, London, mate. Like this, I'm Matthew. I'm, you're a div. He says you're a div in this game at one point. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, he's using slang and he's, um, he's like, bruv, what's going on? It's wow. me, Matthew. I'll fix it. Like, like he's very much that, very straightforward, um, kind of a himbo in a lot of ways like has that energy to him and feels different as a protagonist and i think part of the reason for that is because you have shulk and rex here already and they already fulfill like that protagonist archetype that you usually expect so i think it's it's interesting that they went in a different direction with him and i think it works initially i didn't like his accent or the, the voice actor to begin with i was like oh this this feels weird this is not what i'm here for but i think it really works in the end and i don't know it, it gets across a different flavor different sense um and and yeah and i think the, the focus here is still on his story and what's going on with him and his his link to the to Xenoblade Three because basically this is a prequel story right this is um you know there's there's a place called the city in Xenoblade Three and there are founders of the city and when you go into the city in in, in Xenoblade Three you see the statues of the founders um and so there are you know people knew this was coming because there's a statue of Rex there's a statue of Shulk there's a statue of these other people as well and there was a lot of like speculation of like who are these people what are they doing all that sort of stuff. And and this game ties up all those loose threads. It basically says, okay, this is what happened. This was the story of what happened and how it all got tied up together, as well as the way in which it kind of interlinks with the wider lore and narrative. Um, and there's a moment at the end of this game where you go somewhere and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Are we are we really doing this? Like, we're, we're, we're seeing the origin of this entire thing. Like, it was, it was so cool and just a full circle moment. And uh, I think, like, narratively, this is definitely a... You can't miss it if you're a Xenoblade fan, basically. It's like, it feels like it should be just, like... <laughs> mandatory for everybody who's played the rest of the games to play this it like torn is great and future connected are great and i really like those as like extra pieces of stuff that you can go and, and do more exploration and all that sort of amazing xenoblade stuff but this feels core to the experience and really you know as i said it feels like it's looping back around to the first game in so many ways it feels like that that final kind of cherry on top of the series of uh, tetsuya takahashi's journey to create his his quote-unquote perfect works through the xeno series and it's taken this this one series xenoblade blade in particular for him to do it which is amazing um there's there's a lot of interesting quirk to uh, the differences in gameplay stuff as well so you have six set characters this time so it's less there's less management when it comes to like classes and i guess the original game did have six characters set characters but you also had the hero characters who came in so you had like seven people usually um but here because it's just you're kind of locked into your archetypes um you are able to kind of do a bit less micromanaging because there was a lot of micromanaging there's still a lot of menu stuff in this game kind of digging into menus and stuff like that but the thing that they've changed that i really like is 
there's much more of an incentive for exploration where you know previously you would unlock new gem slots or new arts or new skill slots that sort of stuff by leveling up or by just progressing through the game through the narrative whereas here they basically treat all of those as unlockables that you can find out in the wild so you can come across a chest and inside the chest you'll be like oh i now have a gem unlock kit which allows me to add an extra gem slot to one of my characters and so it gives you a, an incentive to explore a lot which the game has always been great about the series has all been fantastic about it giving you like reasons to and giving you experience points for finding secret views and all that sort of stuff which i still love but they're adding an extra layer onto that by making this exploration focus tie into the progression where you know you might want to lean into making rex the most powerful guy in your team and you can do that you can unlock all of his gem slots early give him more skills than anyone else all the arts that sort of stuff or you can kind of be a bit more even-handed spread it around to people but you can pick your favorites and um glimmer uh, for example who's one of the characters is that i liked playing as a lot she she kind of has a kind of more uh healer uh play style but she also puts down like a field on the ground that does kind of boost attack damage and all that sort of stuff and i had her set up in a way that i i was leaning on her a lot for a lot of the fights and so i was i was investing more into her um skills and her arts and all that sort of stuff and it's, it's a little bit more restricted in the sense that you you only have three main arts and three kind of uh, additional ones so there's there's less experimentation there but i think the the game kind of leans on this this exploration stuff and the kind of the choice between which characters do you want to max out um, versus other ones uh, to to kind of make that decision instead, um, which I think is is a cool way of handling it, uh, and I think it, it works really well. And the other thing that they've done is that they've added you know like in these games i tend to feel like i'm never gonna 100 percent these because there's way too much stuff to do and like the tracking is difficult you fill out that map and yeah I, I do love filling out the map and that's always what i do right i will i will just walk around the place to fill out the map which is you know inevitable it's going to happen but in terms of 100 percenting, i've never been the sort of person to be like oh i'm gonna do all the community and all that sort of stuff and they do with they do a subtle thing in this game that is so minor but completely just broke my brain and changed the way i think about it in the sense that like they itemize all these things in such a satisfying kind of manner where the community tab that shows all the different npcs that you meet within the colony and other places um you have like a little checklist next to every single person and also the nice thing here you can now highlight a person and they will show up on the map because that was also another frustration with the previous games of like well this person who are they where the hell are they right now they should be at this place at this time but now you can just pop an icon on the map and it'll show you where they are and it will once you have kind of you know filled out their community thing and like increased your relationship with them it will now just do a little tick over their name and it is the dumbest thing in the world but they just put a little tick and i'm like well i'm getting a fucking tick on everybody now like it's so stupid but it's such a minor little thing where where it incentivizes me to do that stuff and it's the exact same with enemies so they've they've added an incentive to kind of not it's not grinding at all and doesn't feel like that but they're like okay you have to kill three of these enemy types and i'm like well that's just like a boring side quest but the entire game every enemy is catalogued so you have the enemypedia which is like okay it it tracks how many enemies you fight all that sort of stuff and so every enemy has a little icon over their head and if it's like an orange kind of um sign then it means you haven't killed enough of them and then eventually when you kill enough of them it will do a big tick as well so like i'm going around the world and i'm just like i'm just killing all the enemies until they all have ticks over their head and it's such a dumb (laughs) thing but this tick like somehow made me want to do everything in this game and i didn't 100 percent complete it but what i did do was i basically did all of the kind of like i found all the treasure chests um 
I found all of the like uh, interesting uh, you know viewpoints and that sort of stuff like all the locations and the fast travel points and the game just gives you stuff for it it's like hey have some more have some more stuff to level up your skills right have some more stuff to level up your affinity chart and it all feeds into each other in a really nice synergistic way um, and I think because so much of this game for me and so much of this series is about just walking around the place and taking it in and just like listening to the music as you just like fight against creatures and explore and find places like it just gave me more of an excuse to hang out in the world and i think that's why it works so well um and there's like there's extra like new mechanics here very slight stuff where they so in the in the base xenoblade 3 there are these kind of wires that you can slide across and they are like traversal things and it's like an ability that you unlock later um and you can like get across the world with them they introduce um ether ether wires now which are basically just like they're wires but they're made out of just the ether that's part of this world and so you kind of slide on those now so part of this is rebuilding that infrastructure it's making um points where you can travel to a spot you weren't able to get to and so it's like adding to the exploration there's also uh, ladders that you can rebuild and uh masts that you can put up and those masts will kind of do a big ping of the map of that area and it will show all the question marks that you have so you're like oh great now i can go and find you know where these these last few chests are in this area so you know getting that completion percentage uh, i didn't 100 percent everything but like i got very very close to it and the only stuff that i didn't do was the unique monsters that were like way too high level like i think i ended the game about level 60 ish and there's a unique monster that's level 100 i'm like well you know that's one thing i'm just not going to do because that just involves going and grinding levels up in order to fight that that boss because it's it's a super boss or whatever so like but aside from that I did pretty much fucking everything in this game. Um, and, and I think that's testament to the way that they've designed it, the way that they've kind of, I don't know, psychologically uh, blackmailed my brain in order to want to do all this stuff. But it was it was super satisfying. And like I said, like the music in Xenoblade is such a special part of the experience and part of why I connect with it so much. There is a, an elevator that you get out of. You get, get up to the Aurora Shelf, which is like the first big open space. And the, the music slowly, subtly comes in and it is one of the best tracks in the series and the way that it weaves and the way that it just fucking the melody comes in it's nostalgic but it's modern and new at the same time it is an incredible track and for the remainder of my time playing this game i would just be whistling to myself as as the track happened constantly i'm just like my parents are probably like what the fuck is where's this noise coming from i'm just like whistling along you know headphones in uh whistling along to this music um while i was back home playing this um and it was just tremendous it's it's just such a comfortable game experience for me the xenoblade world it's so easy and i think like the the combat in three in particular is so streamlined and there's depth to it but it's like in a fun way where you know you you have to do a lot of setup i think in terms of your character build usually but like generally when it comes to going through it there's kind of like there's almost a rhythmical nature to it because of the idea of cancelling attacks where you know when a, when a character does that auto attack and it's about to connect or when it just exactly connects if you press a button at the right time it cancels and then you can cancel that into another move and another move and the positional aspect of it there's a it does almost feel like a rhythm game at points of just like bang 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 and just waiting for the recharge and seeing what people are doing resing people that sort of stuff there's a real cadence to it i think works well um and this this dlc also adds a 
kind of new wrinkle to it where instead of having the um the kind of like the mech stuff where you kind of fuse together um you have these unity combos which is basically two characters do an attack together and you can change who those characters are so you have a bit more flexibility with it so you could be like oh shulk and rex together or nicole and and uh, glimmer together right and you can keep switching them up and they all have different effects but the way that it's built is this will do the most possible damage if an enemy is launched in the air and the nice thing about this thing in particular is that every there's a real high chance of you breaking and then toppling and then launching enemies whereas in the other game because all the classes are different you would have to set it up so that your party had the ability to break topple and launch and it just took a lot more and you'd have to mix things up a, a, a lot more whereas with the set uh, art and the set characters here people are getting launched all the time so it feels like they built it in a way where like okay you're gonna be launching enemies constantly we have to have a system that deals with that and makes it so that you want to get them into a launch state and then there's multiple things you can do you can either chain attack in that launch state or you can use a unity combo on them and so like it's this it's this nice cadence where you're always working to like get into that launch state and then from there that's where you can do the big damage so um has has a really nice impact on the combat and I think it's um it's a it's an it's a unique, interesting approach that uh they kind of streamlined a little bit more in this as opposed to the previous entry. Um so yeah, there's there's a lot going on. Um I think that it it's just like I wish I would take one of these every year and I would be happy, you know? Like just a, a th- Well the rate they develop monolith soft, you know, right. it's got a good chance of that, right? Definitely. Um and, and like I'm I'm very thankful that like my, my my series that I really enjoy that uh have started to get the limelight a lot more like Xenoblade and Fire Emblem and um yeah, I I I'm not in the era of, of back in the day where those weren't coming out uh, and it's just yeah, it's just it's gravy man it's all gravy we've been in the gravy era for those two series for quite some time now. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly give me um, the advance wars f-zero era that's why well I'm you know it's start, it's starting it's the, the the embers are lighting uh somewhat but um Ish. but yeah I, I it's just like such a fantastic series it is it's one of my favorite like i think i like xenoblade more than fire emblem at this point i think xenoblade is like my maybe my favorite nintendo series like zelda is obviously like pretty untouchable in a lot of ways mario but but yeah like oh god yeah uh, mario can get fucked xenoblade is like way above mario for me absolutely like i adore this series i think it's so so good and i think part of it is that like you don't get narrative from nintendo and it's like the one series that does narrative and does it really well like impactful story moments like great characters like it's just really exceptionally well done stuff and um and it all just ties together and like every single aspect i love every aspect of it you know um and i think that's that's why it stands out so clearly for me and so strongly um and so yeah this 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 is the end of a journey it's the end of a decade journey um and this story is fully wrapped up it's it puts a nice bow on top of it and um and yeah like i'm fascinated to see what they do next because clearly the name xenoblade is very popular at this point in time so they'd be stupid to move away from that as a naming convention so i'm sure whatever the next thing is called it is going to have the xenoblade name on it but it won't be the klaus saga right it won't be the story of the man and his hubris you know who decided to do an experiment and then split the world into two universes right it's not going to be based on that uh, that entire kind of um idea and i think that that's exciting um and and yeah i, I want to see what else wild stuff that takashi and his, his team come up with so uh yeah all all good for me um and uh yeah shout out to xenoblade as it sets sail for the final time there you go third chronicle three it'll be back it'll be back it'll be back next year yeah here we go um 
Valley from my favorite RPG series Ooh, to your favorite RPG favorite. series. And you have finally come to the yeah. end of your journey. And boy, has it cemented itself as my favorite RPG series because, wow, like I you talked about you just played, what, 25 hours of mm-hmm. Blade 3 in, yeah. in like a week. I did about the same with Octopath Traveler 2. Um, so I did it. I beat it. It took me 83 hours and I obviously started the day it came out. So my question on that is I think it took you closer to 87 just looking at your Switch timer because your Switch says 85 and then the demo says two hours. So you've done at least 87 hours, maybe more. Right. But that's because it's like Super Metroid time. It's your your in-game clock is based on you're you not dying so there's time uh, right, where you, you die okay. and restart on a boss and that's not accounted for in the gameplay t- i see clock, okay that makes sense um, yeah so yeah you're right it was close to 87 then 83 uh but yeah it, it it became my fourth most played game on switch after breath of the wild animal crossing coming for the League. crown um, yeah i should i should quickly mention as well xenoblade is dangerous like i'm at 145 hours now in xenoblade and i think my animal crossing is also at 145 oh, so it's number two I'm, yeah so i'm gonna go back in and i'm just gonna finish off those side quests from the main <laughs> game that i haven't done just to make it my number one yeah absolutely i'm gonna do that but yeah octopath 2 beat stardew valley like which is wild for me yeah. and the number of jrpgs i play um so people know that I was skeptical, like people reviews were pretty positive on the ending and the way that the paths come together. And that mm-hmm. was a big criticism of the first game, including from me, where I didn't like that the first game, the ways that the paths came together in the first game was very much post game, post credits. You had to be level 75. I looked up all this stuff about how the stories came together and there was a big bad final boss. The boss was miserably difficult. I never bothered doing it. The ways the stories came together was decent, but to 90% of players who played that game were probably unaware it even happened. So the fact that, like, you do not get credits after after defeating the final chapter of each character in Octopath 2, which I like, because that does happen in Octopath 1. I saw that credits mm-hmm. eight times. This game, you just get a, a fin. You get, like, the, the finished kind of screen of the character that you finished their story, and then the, and then the game rolls on. And, like the 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 way the game rolls on from those final character screens to the the credits i actually thought was really well done like there were moments that were very difficult i was skeptical it would stick the landing from a narrative perspective but both from a narrative perspective and a mechanics perspective in terms of difficulty it was just the right level of it was just the right level of narrative that i needed and it was the right level of difficulty like it wasn't it wasn't like blow your brains out this is impossible kind of standard square enix jrpg bullshit that just like thumps you um Mm -hmm. although i was feeling that after the first couple of attempts at the final boss but i can safely say they do a good job of getting it all wrapping it all up and putting a bow on what is honestly and just an incredible game it's so so impressive um without spoiling anything um I do think that there's a couple of characters that like things are implied and then the game doesn't explicitly say. So like people were saying certain things about certain characters online. I was like, oh yeah, of course that makes sense. But then the game didn't explicitly say it. So maybe I would have liked the story to be a bit more explicit in a couple of those points that would have been really like, oh wow. Okay. Right. So the game's confirming that. Um, But it, it it still works for me i think they do a good job and i think that like 
the the final boss i went in like first time and i played against that final boss maybe three to four times and pretty handily got my ass kicked and it's one of those things where i went away to grind for about an hour and i should say that over the course of 83 87 hours however long it was i probably spent about three to four hours maybe five hours max grinding in the whole game so i'm gonna say the grind in my opinion there is grinding there if you want to defeat these bosses sort of not comfortably but have a decent chance but I'm sure there's better players than me who can defeat these bosses at far lower levels. Um, but I will just put it out there. I don't think this game is grind-free, if that's what you're looking for. I think there's a, a little bit in there, but I yeah. don't actually, it didn't bother me at all. I was Th- though it does sound like the tools they give you if you want to grind are much better than the first right. game in the sense of the night mode increases you know, difficulty but also experience, and then you can also just fast-forward things and skip, totally. skip through. So if you do want to put your nose to it, it sounds like it's there's much more efficient ways of doing it because i remember with the first game i was like oh, where the fuck do i even go to like level up like it didn't right like, by the yeah. end of the game i was like there, where, where's an area where there's high level guys for me to fight like it just it was never it was never well uh kind of instructed to me like what i was supposed to do but i don't know it sounds like it's easier to just yeah. do that here. and when i went away to grind it was to level up the four weakest characters in my party to level 50 and so the lowest level character in my party was level 50 the highest was like 67 and then there were three characters over 60 and three characters under 60 mm. and i beat the final boss first time after doing that right oh, wow. now okay. i must admit i did also look up a couple of tactics online nothing like okay. overly fancy or anything but just like a couple of fairly obvious things i was like mm-hmm. oh, that makes sense i'll tool that up in my party and then thump the boss first time and Again, without spoiling anything, there's something so epic that this game does with the final boss um, and the way that they utilize the eight characters that I think the first game did, but I think they render it better in this game. Mm. And I think it it just, the production, the music, the the final boss, it just really sung for me in that final. And when that that final blow I did, like defeat the boss and i I, like it's one of my favorite feelings in video games honestly after such a long journey and that's Mm -hmm. kind of what grbs are all about oh totally yeah the the long journey the endurance the the struggle the difficulty and then boom you you get over that moment and maybe that's defending why square enix makes some of their final bosses so bloody damn difficult (laughs) because you get that moment and it's just elation um but yeah i think that like making this game have a final boss that isn't a grind to level 75 or 80 is super welcome like although this game i mean to be honest this game also has a final 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 boss if you want to do it Um, yeah and i don't want to do that because i saw credits i i think the stories came together in a way that satisfied me and i'm super happy and like i already said i'm so glad this game has that um so i did look up a couple of tips as i said but I was really satisfied with the challenge overall. Um, I, like I said, I'm going to claim this is my favorite JR- JRPG ever. Um, it does improve on a number of weaknesses from the first game. I won't say all of them. Um, and maybe they had to leave a couple of weaknesses just so they can iron those out for Octopath 3. So like, I'm so damn ready for more of this series. I think they are onto, onto a winner. And it's taking the classic... like joy of traditional jrpgs and just doing it with a modern twist hd 3d is like one of my favorite art styles honestly and i'm i i couldn't be much happier with this game it, it was a slog at times it was a long game mm. especially fitting it in around um having a baby but you know 
I beat Horizon last year, beat this game this year already, got Tears of the Kingdom coming, like I'm 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 knocking out the big games as much as those don't include Elden Ring for the time being, but you know, I'm getting there. Like I I was I was really impressed. Um shall I do a quick ranking of the stories? Sure. Go okay, for it. Okay. Yeah. So for those interested in Octopath Traveler two, the best story, in my opinion, is Throne, mm. followed by Casti, then Temenos, then Hikari, then Oswald, then Partitio. And the two at the bottom, Agnia and Oshet. Um, yeah, a couple of the at the bottom weren't that great, but even Partitios, I really, really, really enjoyed. And I will defend Agnias and Oshets in the sense that I think those two stories go to some of the coolest locations in the game, even Ooh, if the okay. stories aren't actually overly interesting. Um, and yeah, MBZ, when we went for yeah. Korean Barbecue, I entrusted you with my copy of you this did? incredible JRPG, so... If you do get any time in 2023, which is tricky because yep. it's a busy year in terms of um, everything that we're doing and games coming out. But um, you never know. You might get a, a, a little 80 hours here and 80 hours there. Um, yeah. Also, I feel like I could do it in 60. Uh, yeah. I, I don't. I feel like there's I, I am a bit more ruthless when it comes to like just skipping through dialogue and like true, getting true. to places and being more efficient about stuff. Um, and I'll probably look some stuff up as well to help with like just getting things going, you know. Um, yeah. So I feel like I I could I could get through it, but yeah, I'm I, I obviously I really enjoyed the the demo stuff, and I think those stories had a lot of potential. And hearing from you that they do pay off is like yeah, that's exciting. Like I do I want want to see what they do with that stuff. So um, yeah, I i will start it uh you'll get back to it i think because i'll probably load up my demo save and uh kind of continue from there but um yeah very very interested to see where this game goes and definitely want to play it before the end of the year so that we can chat about it at the end of the year and i can get my thoughts on it even if i don't manage to, to wrap it up but it would be good to um to yeah at least get a good amount of time into octopath mm. 2 um so one yeah. thing i need to just really hammer home is the thing that backs up these stories i think that the first game didn't do at all is they just play with the camera perspective so well with this game where they'll lower it and raise it and it can act like a drone on the world sometimes and like they mm. do these interesting perspectives combined with the music that it creates the most cinematics we talked a bit about this with live live last year actually but like yeah they definitely leaned a little bit into they that really that play with it with this where it creates some of the most cinematic scenes i've ever seen in games that involve pixel art like it, it just brings right. so much energy and life to the characters and what they're saying and like the stories that they're on and the quest and it, it kind of like is a great showcase of the world because they've put so much mm. effort into this world yeah and they're just some really and a lot of these moments are very cheesy in true jrpg fashion but like they really make what is ultimately a top-down jrpg just hit a lot harder and i think live live did a good job and this game is another one that just they are really nailing HD three HD two D HD two D. Yeah, two D. Yeah, ever, but yeah, yeah, exactly. HD two D, um, like it's they they're really nailing it, and um, yeah, I'm up for Dragon Quest three remake or whatever it is, and you know, I do think Octopath Traveler three will come. I'm sure this game is selling absolutely fine, and yeah, it's a one of my favorite games on Switch. Honestly, it's Damn. it's that good, and it's currently my game of the year but i'm sure there's a few games that might knock it off top spot yeah we'll see definitely some stuff it's just really impressive stuff and i'm not the easiest person to please when it comes to jrpgs so i think oh we know (laughs) but like octopath 2 honestly it's i can't recommend it highly enough you've just got to go for it it's it's long it's enduring but 
those eight stories are actually all feel fulfilling in a way that makes you know it's ultimately like eight to ten hour stories to some degree like it really does feel like that there's there's real substantial twists and turns and like the way they break up the, the chapters compared to the first game it's a lot less monotonous it's a lot more twist and turn and like i said with a, cha- a character like throne you think it's all wrapped up by the end of chapter three or four it is and then there's like a final chapter and there's another and then there's like and another thing oh yeah and one more thing and that happens on a number of characters that you mm. think oh right wow okay i I like the way they're doing that that is some some great storytelling i'm i'm yeah. impressed yeah uh, yeah I, I like the idea of kind of elevating the kind of cinematic aspect of it using the camera in cool ways um especially because you think about like i was so impressed with final fantasy 6 and what that was able to achieve mm. from a 2d right. perspective and it feels like these games have been knocking against that barrier for so long and what hd2d provides is a way to break through the barrier in a way totally. right um and and kind of provide a little more i'd say production value in in a sense that you only was a bit more left to your imagination despite the the effort you know the, the opera scene from final fantasy 6 is iconic and like mm. the way that they do it and all the setup and all the the music and, and everything that just comes together so wonderfully but uh, i think that there's there's a way in which they're leveraging this tech here to kind of push it to the next level which i think is very yeah cool. it's, it's a it's a coming together of incredible music incredible world design unbelievable pixel art which also still needs a shout out like these, these are still pixel art characters they look incredible um and then yeah the soundtrack the look the camera angle it all just comes together like in this really impressive way and and in particular a few of those cutscenes. um i was yeah. gonna like spat all these images out all over twitter but they are a little bit spoiler um, yeah so, i'm sure super spoiler um, i have stuff. seen other people doing it and i've admired them um, mm-hmm. but yeah I, I won't do it myself but god there's some good looking locations in this game yeah totally um i interested as well which soundtrack do you rate higher the first game or the Oofed. second game Oofed. um First I've heard game, less people talk about this second soundtrack compared to the first one, I think. Most like, people that I've read online are just like, it matches it. And if I was wow, to... Okay. to I've actually, I've got a request for the changeover music. It's Partitio's theme. Matt, um, well, you're you're struggling today because we're talking about Xenoblade 3, so <laughs> oh, I, I don't know if I can manage good that. Point. Maybe we do a double music. Right, uh, double music. Center. Yes. We'll see. Yeah. But um, yeah, Partitio's theme in particular is just some absolute slapping jazz saxophone it's so good um i may be recently biased but i'm siding with two honestly like wow um, god man that first game soundtrack is so fucking good it's really hard to beat one is really good too i i yeah maybe it's a score draw i can't i can't i can't decide honestly well i I mean the the fact that you're having trouble deciding says a lot for it yeah but maybe also this music hits harder because of some of those cinematic moments i've described as well Mm, so i think the the first game's maybe doing more with less in in part uh but yeah it's it's just such i i taking the traditional classic jrpg and applying this level of polish and splendor it, it just really feels like i described it before it's like the rolls royce of jrpgs it's just like something old but it's just so grand and just so impressive mm-hmm. and yeah it's not it's not revolutionizing the genre perhaps but it's it's doing cool things and it, it deserves a shout out and you know well i'm sure we'll talk about it in game of the year well it's definitely got more than a shout out on this show oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'll say so uh yeah uh very cool well there you go that wraps it up finally um and 
yeah, I'm sure uh, we'll be talking about it more at the end of the year. But that is going to do us for the first segment of today's show. We'll be back after this break to talk about your emails that you sent through to us. See you in a bit. back to the second part of today's show it's that time again it is time for the emails but before i get to the emails mbz i've got to do one thing what is that i have to tell everyone the email address well tell us it then please this nintendo life at gmail.com that's this nintendo life at gmail.com please send in your emails we always need more the, the world's looking pretty dry right now so yeah it's always dry um always even dry. even when it's full it's actually dry so everybody just write right in uh right now uh wherever you are in the world even if you're driving dictate it to google say <laughs> the name of the podcast the address and they'll send it for you it's great technology is amazing these days you can just say things and it will just happen um but yeah you can also uh, hop over to our discord server and, and leave a little uh email there in our thread if you want to as, as well so multiple options available to you exactly yeah. exactly our first email this time is from Chad, who's from Nebraska, and Chad wanted to say that in Nebraska, cows outnumber people three to one. That's a lot of beef, wild. man. That's a lot wild. of beef. Uh, so I'm sure you're eating well in Nebraska. <laughs> Chad says, hey guys, for some reason, the holidays always make me a little nostalgic for old games and systems. I have great memories of video game related gifts and of course, playing games with friends and family. My parents still have a functioning Atari 2600 at their house, but it's been a long time since we hooked it up. This made me wonder, what is the oldest video game you've played? And also, what's the oldest you've actually enjoyed? Your ambivalence towards NES games is pretty well documented. Mm -hmm. Um, I have three recommendations for Atari games to try. For like five minutes, because they're not that good, but I had hours of fun with each of them. Number one, River Raid. Fly a jet and blow stuff up, but don't run out of gas. Pitfall. Really just to hear the Tarzan music when you swing across a pond full of alligators. Stampede. This is kind of a deep cut. You have to uh, rope slash herd cows. Uh, gets fast and difficult, even if you have a good pattern down. Of course, they're all way better with the original joystick, but keyboards work too. Thanks, Chad. Awesome. Um, yeah, video games go back a ways, but um, I feel like... 
older video games are just they're just like you know if you were there at the time it was just like a magical experience right it's like wow this thing is insane like the beatles yeah like the beatles (laughs) and the further we've established many times on this show the further away you get from it like for example i don't know i feel like kids going back to like even i don't know ps1 games these days they'd be like woof this is really hard you know i can't this is a a video game what like we've just come so far in such a short period of time Mm. um from like many perspectives from visual perspectives obviously but just like controls and like narrative and so many so many elements so it's it's always hard to go back but i don't know i've always been interested in the history of games and going back and playing older stuff and um and i like that the switch online kind of exists as a way to easily dip in and out of those types of things um but you know obviously that only goes back so far right like the the nes was not the start of video games there's stuff before that and there's lots of even older stuff especially through pcs and you know classic systems uh, in in the uk right because of course in the uk nintendo was never that big and many of the the game stuff uh, that came up back in the day was home computer stuff right through ataris amigas all that sort of thing the zx spectrum a big deal um obviously everyone knows ultimate play the game which was uh, rare's original name as a studio um and rare did a lot of zx spectrum stuff it's really cool if you have rare replay because you can play a bunch of their spectrum stuff on rare replay um and i've not played any of the spectrum stuff but i've watched people play it and it's just so it's so unbelievably primitive but in a way that's kind of charming um in a way that i appreciate and um and i can see why people were into it back in the day when there was nothing else literally nothing else to do um but but yeah it's it's very it just makes it very difficult to think about going back to that stuff these days um and i obviously i owned a amiga it was my Mm. cousin's amiga what year did that come out in the uk good question i i think it must be mid 80s of some kind because he's 10 10 years older than me so when he was like 18 he was giving it to me so he must have grown up with it at the age of 10 which would have been like the start of the 90s end of the 80s probably so i don't think it's like super duper old because when you think about it, like super mario brothers the original is 1985 i believe so i think some of the amiga games i was playing were probably actually post that right like i mean stuff like afterburner Mm. 2 would have been it's more like 3d as well right so it's actually kind of a bit more advanced and like i I think like a lot of stuff i was playing was actually a bit more advanced than you know even the early nes stuff so um it may well be that some of the older stuff that i've played is just like i don't know i mean this is the thing right everyone's played pac-man and pac-man is like an arcade classic like 1980 right right so that's probably like pong as well like i've probably played pong in some form so technically like that was quote unquote or te- tennis for two i guess the first game right well, what's, so, what's all this one that you enjoyed that i enjoyed is a good question yeah because i mean there was a lot of stuff on the amiga that i did really we enjoy. had a good time me coming yeah. around to your house you'd be like bally check out this shit i'm like this we is have old like, as hell but it's yeah. fun and there's that penguin called mr james Pond. James Pond, James <laughs> Pond. Shout out to James Pond, of course, uh, a classic of the era. Um, yeah, James Pond was a good one. Um, I've gone back and looked at James Pond in a modern lens and have been like, "Woof, wow, why did I? Why did <laughs> we, I think this we was were easily good at all? pleased back then." Easily oh, of course, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, the thing was, my cousin had just like a stack of games, uh, stuff like Whizball, uh, which was oh, a. Yeah. 
it was like you were on this planet and you were this green ball and you would bounce it's a 2d platformer where you're a bouncing ball yeah i wouldn't even call it a platformer necessarily no. you were just you weren't really jumping on stuff you were just kind of moving from screen to screen and i think avoiding obstacles i want to say and like avoiding things shooting at you um and like you know i think you could upgrade and like start shooting yourself and that sort of thing so it was almost like a, a bit of a mixture between like a shoot 'em up and a kind of weird bouncing around platformer but yeah you're just this this green-faced ball who would roll around um and i, I enjoyed that a great deal I, we played a good amount of that um there's obviously there's the simpsons game the the bar versus the aliens mm. which i think also came to console platforms like there's a lot of these games that were on consoles as Is well already not a port of a, an arcade anyway like, i think it was yeah mm. i think it was part partially a port of an arcade game um but like stuff like um Oh gosh, what was it? I mean? Afterburner, I think, was on Mega Drive. Afterburner Two. Um, there was a Thundercats game that I was very into uh-huh. as well. There was a side-scrolling action platformer um, that was quite good. Um, yeah, lots of different things uh, from from the Amiga that I enjoyed. The one that came out recently. Uh, so, so we're having a chat at work about some of the, this old stuff and. It just jogged my memory of a game called Dizzy. Treasure Island Dizzy. I don't remember if I ever played this one with you, Bally. But Dizzy Hmm. is this character who's basically an egg. He's just like an egg with like Rayman arms and legs where they don't actually attach Mm -hmm. to him. They just kind of like float near him. And Easier to render. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it was a side-scrolling platformer where you'd go to this treasure island um, and... I think the version that I played was actually a bit of an upgraded version because looking at the Spectrum, the Spectrum version of Treasure Island Dizzy seems much more primitive. Whereas I think the version, I think the same for Whizball, like the version that I played on the Amiga felt like more graphically upgraded versions of um, of those games. So I wonder if, if that was the case because the Spectrum could only display like a set of colors and the Spectrum has a very iconic color set as well as like lots of purple. You'll see this if you play the, the cl- classic stuff on Rare Replay is like all those games look very similar visually because it was only able to do those like few different colors and so like purple was one that stood out a lot um, when it came down to uh, you know those those types of things. So um, yeah I think I'm looking at it now Treasure Island Dizzy the version I played looks quite different it's it's almost like a it's like a Super Nintendo jump from NES right from the Spectrum mm. version to the Amiga version um so it almost is like a completely remastered game um and yeah this is one of those characters that just like this mascot that just got forgotten by time um and it wasn't very good like i remember the jump feeling really often weird but there was a charm to it there was like a i just very clearly remember you start off and you start going to this like tree house like on on the on the island and it's like tropical and you're bouncing you know on these um these kind of um I don't know these wooden bridges and it, it very just hits me nostalgically a lot just looking back on this game um and i think i'm not sure when the original version came out but it looks like it was about 1989 um for the spectrum version so i imagine that the one that i played on the amiga was actually a bit later so weirdly these games that i think are older are probably not as old as like original mario which i think you know um was within a few years 85 yeah, yeah. so so yeah, um, I, I I don't know. I, I mean, I enjoyed them at the time. I would say going back to them is questionable about whether I would enjoy them now. Like, um, I did download before the eShop closed. I downloaded the 3D version of Afterburner Two. I will say, mm. I think Afterburner Two actually probably does hold up really well because that game was like it was really well made. It was just like it was basically Star Fox, um, and 
it had great kind of visuals to it and a real sense of momentum and it was one of those games that i could actually get decently far in i could get at least to like the third or fourth level before dying which tended not to be the case with most games of this era back when i played them um so so yeah i think uh i think afterburner 2 is definitely one that i would say as a really old game that i think is an old game that holds up quite well uh, I, I would say that's that's pretty up there i think you would say afterburner holds up i think the answer to a game that is one of the oldest games i've played and certainly the oldest one that i enjoyed is a game that you actually love mm. and that's Mega Man 2 yeah absolutely which is 1988 so like oh shit okay that's old like obviously nes so like it's old like 1988 is really old in my book because mm-hmm. we've said so many times on the show how, how so many nes games are by and large just a little bit too old for us like they're just they're just so inferior in our opinion often to say super nintendo games and yeah we've totally. talked about many super nintendo games on the show that we've had such a good time and it's only right. like five to ten years later for those super nintendo games and like the jump feels so stark it's huge and- yeah it's also because we grew up with the gba and super nintendo and gba are very akin to each other in terms of style True. visually and like you know, not, not counting all the super nintendo ports on gba of course like- yeah final fantasy not that i played that version mm-hmm. but uh, yoshi's island and, right um super mario world like yeah all well, every mario game every mario game ever there, yeah. So, yeah yeah um, yeah my answer comfortable answer would probably be mega man 2 and the oldest which i probably didn't enjoy i guess similar to you probably pac-man in 1980 and yeah i don't know i mean i enjoy pac-man but it's not like it's not something i would go and <laughs> seek out to play i actually recently played pac-man on my plane to the u.s like uh they had um you know one of those game oh, slash god. tv god, things they're woeful, right? aren't they those they're things. so bad oh my god <sighs> like the d-pad i was trying to like move around i was like this is i didn't press up i pressed left and you're going up instead and it's like really terrible input uh lag and all that sort of stuff you could play a multiplayer though i was like oh patrick do you want to play some pac-man he's like no nah, i'm watching a movie it's like, right. <laughs> I, I, right okay here's here's a bugbear of mine right virgin atlantic did this back in the day so i must have i don't know who did it uh, virgin atlantic or whatever but they had super nintendos on the planes like they identified that hey, really nintendos are actually good let's put super nintendo yep they had them on the planes what the fuck dude i do not understand why these plane companies can't just do deals with any whether it's an xbox a playstation nintendo doesn't really matter yeah why they can't do some sort of deal because because isn't that a it entertains your audience but mm. b uh it promotes those consoles surely like right, isn't yeah. it a win-win isn't it just like an advertising deal i don't understand why this isn't a yeah. thing like, I, I guess i don't, I don't know like what the tech involved would be like how the problem is like how powerful can you get like what generation do you use for yeah but i mean like TVs? i've been at so many hotels in the states when i was younger and there was a playstation one you could rent so like this yeah. thing is plugged into your hotel TV mm-hmm. and there's some sort of software that obviously got agreed with Sony and PlayStation yeah. where you pay money to the hotel and you get two hours of Crash Bandicoot. And that was great. That This was like, I'm on holiday and I'm playing Crash Bandicoot. This is fantastic. Obviously, I didn't own a PlayStation, so this was a big deal. So the idea that you have planes... Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I think in another respect, though, like the types of people who would play that stuff are also the type of people who probably brought their switch or their steam deck on the plane so it's like it's kind of like a a moot thing in a way how many casual gamers would love just a bit of fifa sure yeah totally they'd love a bit of that 
Yeah, as long Better as Gran Turismo, could, why not? You yeah, if they could make it like the modern-ish iterations of those, that would would help. Yeah, uh, obviously, yeah. if it was like, I don't know, <laughs> Football Manager, you could probably run on one of those. I would imagine. Uh, probably not the best game for a plane uh, for like a long-term thing, but you know, people people like those. But you're right. Say it was a PlayStation Five. Where would that even fit? In a- yeah. How do you <laughs> like? Yeah. For for every seat. Yeah, that seems yeah. like um, a bit bit of a nightmare, basically. But um, so Pac-Man yeah. is. Yeah, I, I think so. I don't know. I, there's definitely there's lots of really old games that I've probably touched at one point in time. Um, but again, it's more from a historical curiosity standpoint, and that's usually where I come from with these things. Is I played a bunch of stuff on the Switch Online service, and a lot of it is just just not very good. Like I played um, fucking Jelly Boy, right? And um, I was just watching the uh, the Hyrule Hustle two uh, on Giant Bomb, where they have to race through breath of the wild and um some of the challenges dan sets is like oh you you died now you have to go and play uh, a game on the old nes and uh, super nintendo service um and he made them play jelly boy and i was like oh yeah i remember playing a bit of this when that came to the service and man jelly boy fucking sucks that game is ass like it is so bad and um yeah i mean the nice thing about having those games accessible is you don't have to spend like 10 quid just to see the history mm. you can just have it there which i think is the nice part of it of like everyone complains of like oh these are all i've never heard of this game and i'm like that's what i want i want those games because i want to have an excuse to check out some weird shit um that i wouldn't have paid money for right like i'm gonna pay money for link to the past on virtual console i'm never gonna fucking pay money for jelly boy no right, one is exactly. who's gonna fucking buy jelly boy um Both but it's still merits to be on the console uh, uh, totally. totally yeah exactly uh so like i'm, I'm glad that those exist because then i can come on here and tell everybody how bad jelly boy is you know um and it is weird it's such a fucking like he turned into a duck in that game for no reason like he just he just like morphs around basically prototypical kirby is what jelly boy is um and yeah i don't know it's um it's it's cool but yeah i mean Mega Man 2 is definitely like i think i count Mega Man 2 in like my top 50 games of all time easily like that game is up there for me so it's definitely from me from a personal enjoyment level the highest ranked old game yeah it's um, easily the oldest in your top 50 by i'd yes. say three four five years yeah i don't know i, I can't remember if i've got a, a classic castlevania game in there or not i don't think um i don't think i'd put any of the like I think you're talking like mid 90s by that point though right yeah i don't know the nes castlevanias are a little oh, bit NES, earlier sorry. yeah no, so like castlevania right. 1 right. and 3 um are a bit older but yeah like I, I i generally have been someone who prefers capcom's output and konami's output on those consoles as opposed to nintendo's own output um i just think they're better uh generally and they just stick with me more they're the ones that i care about a bit more mm. um but yeah i don't know i i, I think that in terms of like old games that we really really love like i think super nintendo is where that begins totally. and there's there's yeah. not a lot more like, beyond top that. 10 games of all time level of love like yeah exactly big deals really really great games yeah exactly um so yeah I, I think we we can go back some distance but not that far enough and you know when it comes to like pc stuff like you played some stuff back in the day but it was more it was more 90s right oh, as that opposed way, to yeah that was like yeah. n64 a lot of games like that were on ps1 and n64 like lego racers the spider-man game i played um this kind of thing they were all you know that year like late 90s early Mm -hmm. um yeah Yeah. i'll tell you what i do want to do though because everyone's been talking about it a lot since it came out is i want to check out atari 50 um because 
everybody's been talking about how like the documentary stuff and that is really good and obviously like a lot of these games don't hold up even a lot of people who are like into classic games have been saying this about atari 50 and like yeah it doesn't really hold up as a game but the lovely thing about it is that you get all the context of what happened around the time it's like a full-blown documentary thing and then you kind of get to have a bit of a taste of the game so you like you watch this stuff you play a bit of the game and then they've also like gone in and remastered and like redone a bunch of stuff as well um within that collection which i think is super cool and like giving light to a lot of these games that I think most people would never want to play, but I think part of the joy here is just understanding the context and the history, and it gives you a bit more reverence for them as a mm. result, you know? God, I'd love that for the that. NES, wouldn't you? Like, we've yeah. talked about how a lot of these NES games are quite... We're not that into them, like, but like a package like that for the NES would be through the roof i'd be i'd be ecstatic that'd be so cool yeah and nintendo have kind of come a little close to it but you know nes remix is an interesting idea of like re-approaching those games in a different way and kind of uh, doing something new with them i think is a really cool thing but it's not quite it doesn't have the historical record behind it that what atari 50 is doing and like nintendo have never been a company to do that stuff and i don't think I don't know, it'll probably be a while until they are comfortable ever doing it, if ever. They are working on some sort of museum in Kyoto. That's true, yeah. I don't know when that is open. I don't think it'll be open in time for your visit, but um, no. I, I I definitely need to go there one day when it eventually opens. But Yeah. I and also, it'll, it'll just be the the bare minimum scraping of the surface, and I'm sure Nintendo fans will still go wild for it because Nintendo fans are crazy. Uh-huh, but um, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I think inch by inch, Nintendo might creep closer to aspects of these things yeah it's it's really difficult i think like you just get such little out of the japanese game industry because i think language barrier from our side and stuff like that but um yeah i I, i'd love to have more of a deep dive and if if digital eclipse or um anyone who does all these collections are able to to pull that off that would be amazing Mm. because there's lots of smart people chris cola and stuff like that who work on these these type of collections um and uh obviously has a big history with nintendo and knowing people there and that sort of stuff so um if that's able to happen that would be amazing but but yeah i do i do want to check out atari 50 and like um uh, recently on rfn johnny metz brought up the he was playing aka r which is like one of those classic games that also kind of got remade as part of it um which is a really nice thing and you know just there's forgotten forgotten things that um that you know jeff minter and, and those guys back in the day were making that have a a chance to be reappraised in a, in a fun kind of historic context so uh, um, i think that's cool can i go off on one brief yeah tangent? go for it so we're just talking about like nintendo and the language barrier and japan and these kinds of things and i don't know if you listened to the most recent episode of kit and krista i have not no so they just tell the most awesome stories about nintendo and their zaniness and some awful things that nintendo seem to keep doing um well, Kit was leading the marketing for Nintendo of America on the video game Super Mario Land back in, sorry, Super, Mar- Super Mario 3D Land back yeah. in 2011. Leading the marketing in the whole of North America and NCL didn't think it was a good idea to even tell Kit that there was a second eight worlds in that game. Are you fucking kidding me? And they what? kept it under, because they wanted to keep it under lock and key. We don't want anyone to know that there's basically a whole other game after the main th- uh, eight worlds. There's eight more worlds. And they didn't even tell the head of marketing <laughs> in North America <laughs> about this um, God. mechanic in the game. Um, yeah, pretty. Uh, I Is mean, 
I the believe only example it. of how under lock and key a lot of Japan can potentially sometimes get, yeah. especially Nintendo NCL. Like that, that is just mind blowing. That's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I know that people uh, for reviews for that were also not allowed to talk about that in their reviews either. Yeah, I mean, I I I might defend them on that, but the idea that the head of marketing. <laughs> of nintendo from mm-hmm. all of north america isn't even allowed to know that is but yeah that's bonkers yeah that's absolutely ridiculous um but yeah i think it explains a lot about nintendo in a lot of ways so yeah yeah um anyway all games are cool um and i'll continue to play them um just from a interested perspective but um yeah it's it's hard to find like full enjoyment in those if you mm. didn't grow up during the time yeah um, plus there's so, so much new great stuff where we're also trying to play it's it's hard yeah. to keep up with it and then they just also. remake the old stuff and you're like well you don't have well, to play, might final... play that one yeah yeah don't have to so. play final fantasy 7 original anymore you've got this fancy shiny thing oh, now so. so shiny yeah so shiny our next email is from tim and this one's actually on discord it says hey guys the recent surprise xenoblade 3 and fire emblem engage rapid dlc drops the critical acclaim of the delicious last course last year the dlc turned wildly anticipated sequel that is silk song the frankly insulting discourse about tears of the kingdom being glorified dlc and currently playing through persona 5 royal has me thinking a lot about dlc lately so my question is what are your favorite best dlcs of all time this isn't a topic i feel i have a ton of experience with as i tend to avoid spending more on dlc but now nowadays there's a lot of free or bundled dlc out there that makes it more accessible without the extra cost for me there are two dlcs that are far better than anything else i've ever experienced the citadel dlc from mass effect 3 and the two witcher 3 dlc expansions in the case of me3 it is using the dlc as a way to celebrate the characters that are so crucial to mass effect story and appeal whereas the witcher dlcs share share the same incredibly high level of storytelling present in the main game some might argue the dlc stories are even more interesting than a lot of the base game curious as always to hear your thoughts your friend tim you love that witcher 3 dlc oh my god like yeah i mean that is probably the best dlc ever made i would say like it's it's almost mandatory um i i don't like it's obviously the witcher 3 is a lot of video games (laughs) there's there's a huge amount in there so it's not like people needed more to satiate themselves but um but yeah i think you know it came it came out like i think the first one six months after the first game and then the second one a year after or something like that and um yeah i mean like i would have argued for that second dlc blood and wine to be like a game of the year candidate for that year because it was basically an entire game unto itself it was like 30 hours long is ridiculous um but yeah i think it's interesting because nintendo have only recently lent into dlc as an idea right it's it's only Mm. from the wii u onwards that they have gone into it because prior to that the wii obviously didn't have the functionality to do dlc um just the way that memory worked on that system like so when this idea was in its infancy during the 360 era like nintendo weren't doing anything with it because they couldn't essentially that their systems weren't built for it so i think like 3ds and wii u is the first time that they dipped into it and wii u more so i think than than 3ds but they still didn't do a huge amount there's obviously the, the big standout examples um but there's there's a lot these days and they seem to do it with pretty much most of their big releases right like it's it's rare to have a nintendo game that now doesn't have something um 
tied to it even if it's just like a free thing like obviously we'd never got dlc for mario odyssey which is kind of a crime i think like like the free upgrades that's what i was gonna say yeah the balloon stuff which was so bad like no one cared about it um it's like count as dlc it's like it's more of a free update i guess it depends what your depends what your definition of dlc is here's the interesting thing cd project red kind of has a different um understanding or at least at the time they had a different understanding of what the idea of dlc was so they were like oh yes witcher 3 comes with like seven free dlcs and what they meant by that was like oh you get a different costume for yennefer and for triss and also your horse your horse has and they're like this is a dlc and like i think that was the that's kind of a holdover from what dlc originally was conceived as which was it's kind of more smaller microtrans it's basically what mm. microtransactions are these days like there was a huge hubbub around oblivion and horse armor horse armor was a big thing that people were up in arms about back in the day of like you're gonna charge me five pounds for fucking armor on my horse and now nobody fucking blinks an eyelid at that it's just like oh yeah that's microtransactions that's in every video game and it's like the, the most normalized thing possible but um but yeah what what uh, tim is calling dlc here for witcher cd project would refer to that as an expansion like the traditional kind of pc Mm, style of expansion um which i think you know that stuff has existed for a very long time right the the idea of dlc almost exists from the pc space and expansions happening for forget i mean obviously mmos back in the day like world of warcraft but i think older pc games had the idea of an expansion being something that kind of extended the life of the game or even when you're talking about um you know freeware and stuff and and, and trading stuff like additional doom levels that people traded back 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 in the day um so there's there's a deep history of that in the pc space but yeah i think nintendo obviously late to the party as ever with dlc um but they've had some good stuff and obviously i think like the cream of the crop is the smash character dlc it's like that is probably the best nintendo dlc of all time just because and and it's also like good value for money i think as well like Mm -hmm, it's it's mm -hmm. like a lot of amazing new things uh being thrown in alongside all the music and all that sort of stuff um i think that one definitely stands out from nintendo's perspective as as a high bar um but yeah i mean they've done a lot in recent times um there any that have stood out to you but obviously you have less experience with the other platforms and dlc but yeah massively but like i think from a nintendo perspective you gotta give credit to the mario kart dlc like especially that those first batch of was it eight courses yeah the wii u dlc for mario Kart like incredible stuff and it's like animal crossing tracks f-zero tracks this is insane and you know they still also need credit for like the tracks that are coming out at the moment like some of those are still really great we were talking waxing lyrical about that yoshi's island track which is just so great um really good stuff i maybe it's a little bit of recency bias and i must admit i've not actually played a ton of dlc i did enjoy spider-man back in 2018 that was like one of my first experiences oh right you played through all the dlc for that didn't you yeah i did i mean it was good but like i've got to give it to the delicious last course that might be my favorite dlc of all time it's almost better than the main game in some way yeah i mean it was leaner those bosses were fantastic it was just so not just the bosses but i loved the 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 chess piece um boss like side bosses right. as it were. yeah like, yeah the additional kind of platforming kind of challenge bosses dlc yeah. to the dlc yeah it's just like really cool like i i was obviously that dlc took ages to come out but and you know there's a lot to talk about last year but you know we i think it speaks volumes that we kind of counted that as like a main game as it were even though it was dlc in our kind of yeah. games of the year 
list like i think that speaks to like just how strong that dlc was um i was really blown uh, blown away by it and you know dlc generally i'm as you say mbz like nintendo are quite new to the party and yes i played like breath of the wild dlc i think some some of the shrines in the dlc for breath of the wild were very strong they were some I mean, of the best that, shrines. that dungeon is probably the best dungeon in the and game that dungeon is great yeah I, it's easy to forget that now here mm-hmm. in like 2023 that yeah breath of the wild had great dlc like two waves um i'd also say you know i'm very much looking forward to trying uh horizon forbidden west burning shores like yes, later this yeah. year maybe if, if i did you play frozen wilds at all i didn't um mm. i was just i liked horizon um zero dawn a lot but i was just not up for that dlc and as i as i've discussed on our nintendo show how into i've been with forbidden west and its side quests and it's like i spent 80 hours in that game i think i beat the first horizon like 20 30 hours mm-hmm. like I, I really like mainlined it the fact that I'm so up for all the extra stuff is also speaking to me like I really want to try Burning Shores. And I've heard really strong things, especially from those who like Horizon, about Burning Shores and the way that it sets up like a potential third game. Like I, I, I'm excited to try and get to that this year. I also think it's like on the shorter side for an open world DLC. I think it's like five to ten hours max. It's not like one of these 30-hour things, which as great as it is i'm sure witcher 3 dlc is 30 hours and i'm mm-hmm. excited to eventually get to witcher 3 I'm, I'm looking forward to burning shores being a bit leaner and perhaps like more story driven it's like a little lean story thing that it seems to do so yeah looking forward to that. I, I mean at some points you have to be like well i mean this is just a full video game like xenoblade yeah. xenoblade future redeemed is like it's 25 30 hours long like I played a Space for the Unbound last week, and that was a ten-hour game. And like that's, I, I put more than double the time into this DLC, and it's a it's a DL like it's, it's pretty weird. It's just like mm. I think certain games obviously um, are going to be different, and you know, big RPGs that definitely like you know a short rpg is 25 hours long. So that's that's where we are. I need my Octopath Traveler two DLC. That's why. Yeah, need. totally. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, for me, the, the two Xenoblade, I mean, the three Xenoblade, I mean, all all three games have a thing. Um, Future Connected is the shortest, I would say, uh, the, the add-on for Xenoblade 1, but like, Torna is incredible, uh, and obviously, I absolutely love Future Redeemed, so those are definitely up there as like some of my favorites now um, that, that I've played through all of those. Um, the Mario Plus Rabbids Donkey Kong DLC was actually really good. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, I, um, I think it may have also contributed to me not playing as much of the sequel sparks of hope yeah because i did kind of play that within the same year and um i think the nice thing about that was like it introduced that new character and also just because there was less customization it felt like similar to what the xenoblade dlc did like it, it kind of um it shrinks down the possibility space a little bit but it means that you can focus a bit more and it means that the maps can be more specifically designed around these characters as opposed to like in the main games for those where like you have the possibility space of being like well i can choose between loads of different characters but by giving you only three to choose from it's like well we can exa- we can very much tailor all these maps knowing that this is what you're gonna have every single time um so yeah i think that's pretty good um one that i kind of want to go back to after playing the splatoon 3 um campaign is the octo expansion because i i never played that and it's available mm. through our nintendo yeah, switch online right. um that would so, be fun so yeah that could be a thing to go back to but yeah that's that's one that kind of hangs there um did you did you ever play the overcooked dlc was that something you played hmm i think i did i basically 
I think I bought like the special edition or whatever it was that came to Switch, which I think included DLC for either the okay. first or second game. Because we got the second game at launch, so it can't have been that one. But yeah, I'm pretty sure we did the DLC. It's just more court, more levels. I don't know how right. to describe it, but yeah, it, it was it was very good. It doesn't stand out in my mind. Yeah, I guess if it's if it feels less disconnected because it was just a complete collection to begin with i guess mm. you just were like well this is the full game essentially right, so exactly, there's... exactly. yeah that happened just... to a lot of switch games um near the launch of the switch they got kind of special editions of things like mark of the ninja for example right yeah totally um i think dead cells is a good example of like an independent game that constantly gets updated and has loads of stuff um i have bought one of the dlcs for dead cells um and it's it's a nice like additional wrinkle where you have different kind of paths that you can go down um which is good and kind of adds an extra layer there but then there's a castlevania dlc which i really want to get to at some point um dead cells is one of those games that like it's the never-ending gobstopper it's it's like roguelikes are great in that way that you can keep going back to them and i'll just randomly pick them up from mm. time to time and be like yeah i'm just gonna keep going with this and you know um just dive in and, and check it out every now and again and uh, i think dead cells has a great model uh going for them with that stuff in terms of just constantly putting out uh extra stuff uh whether it be paid or whether it be free like i think they did a whole free update that was like kind of like the the indie friends kind of thing where like they had the nail from hollow knight as a weapon and like you could see those different characters from like guacamelee and stuff like lots of different metroidvanias from the indie space like collaborated with dead cells to do a bit of crossover stuff which i thought was was very cool um but yeah i don't know like there's i, I feel like dlc and expansions tend to be associated with like big western games a lot yeah. as well um so it's dlc is not the most appealing thing to two people who are playing a lot of games and predominantly playing games to talk about them on a podcast and sure you know lining up games to talk about game of the year discussions dlc is always a little bit tricky like obviously we did it with like delicious last course but Mm -hmm. as a thing dlc isn't really the most appealing thing to me obviously we've talked about i've loads of exceptions to that that i have really enjoyed the dlc but like to me dls i don't i don't normally beat a game and then go, oh, I hope the DLC comes out. I mean, I, I know I said about Octopath, but like, honestly, if Octopath DLC did come out, sure, I'd play it. But part of me would be like, oh, God, but I've got so many other games to play. Yeah, and you, know? yeah. and you f- even you felt that a little bit with that Xenoblade 3 DLC, the, the timing of it just coming. You're like, well, well, that's my weekend now. I guess I mm-hmm. have to do that because, yep. you know, yep. that's your job. But like, uh, there is like a stress to like, oh, God, that there's games coming out of our ears right now do we really need dlc like it's just one more thing you know yeah i don't know i i actually i kind of like it in a sense because it gives us an excuse to go back to games if we do want to go like i i'm looking for any fucking excuse to talk about xenoblade on this show (laughs) so you know the fact that uh, i was able to come back to it um i think is is great like obviously timing not great thanks nintendo maybe just get your fucking second half of the year lineup sorted so that we know what's going on because seemingly they're just releasing everything in the first half of the year um including this uh like right before (laughs) right before it comes out uh and um and yeah i but but i think it's it's nice for the games that i love to return to them and to have another chance to talk about them and it's nice like with mario kart i think it's a good thing to just check in with again because otherwise i would have no reason to go back to mario kart usually um it's it's hard for us to like keep up with playing smash brothers or mario kart all those types of things and so i think having these additional extra like little reasons for us to do that i think is actually quite nice um Mm. so um it's it's a good way to kind of 
continue the conversation on games that maybe have lost the conversation and then sometimes stuff comes out and you're like well never actually went back to that like with switch sports they put golf in it and we just didn't go back to it and we planned to i know and we didn't and they're like all right cool i guess we're never playing switch sports again (laughs) uh so just exist in the ether now uh if ever I want to go back to it, which I might do. I don't know. It's a fun yeah, game to get out at parties it's, and stuff like a, that. It's a good game. Good game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's certainly DLC that like I would drop anything for. And Xenoblade is one of those examples where I was like, yeah, I'll, I will literally drop everything just to play this. Um, um, but but those are rare. Like It's only for my very favorite games where I will yeah. I mean, we've got the greatest that. DLC of all time coming out. Tears of the Kingdom. Like, of course, everyone's, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> like The discourse around that is so, like, it's so ridiculous. Like, um, especially as a fan of the Yakuza series and like that entire franchise is built on the idea of reusing, reusing the same fucking cities. place again and that place is like way smaller than Breath of the Wild's world uh, but people love that but apparently no can't do that for uh, for a Zelda game so I don't know um, yeah I, uh, I, I that's the other thing um, I, I feel like DLC often never really goes on sale which i find is a bit of a barrier to entry to me as well because i do keep an eye on sales of like what's going on and cheap and stuff like that and i waited for a really long time to get that donkey kong dlc because it just didn't go on sale Mm. on its own um so i think that sometimes is a little bit of a barrier to entry as well because sometimes i don't want to get something straight away but i want to loop back to it and Maybe it's just a, a loophole thing when people are kind of deciding when to discount their games, but it feels like DLC never goes on sale. That's why I'm waiting. I want to go back to Lost Judgment and play the Kaito Files DLC on PS5, and like I keep checking it, and it's like, nope, it's it's still still twenty quid. Still, it's not going down at all. It's never been on sale. It's like yeah, twenty quid. That's that's not nothing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm like, well, like i can get lost judgment for like 20 quid now but the dlc is, is still that price it's like what's going on here man like you gotta you gotta sort this shit out so i don't know um i think that that's also a uh a little bit of a barrier to entry but yeah yakuza is another great example of a series where like yeah i will play everything that they release um so yeah um dlc's good i think that it's it's helpful to kind of continue the conversation about stuff and Certainly from a publishing perspective, uh, DLC is very important um, and just ongoing games stuff and like continuing to update stuff is very important, let me say. Uh, so um, yeah, I think we're going to continue to see more of this. Then we're going to continue to see Nintendo just keep putting DLC in their games, especially for ones they know they can exploit, like Fire Emblem mm. and Xenoblade, because those fan bases are rabid. Put more on Switch Online, like I, I, you're right about that Octo... I was going to say Octopath. Octo Expansion um, yeah. for Splatoon. Like, just stick it on there like we already pay the price like you right want to give it to us yeah yeah exactly and that's the weird thing about xenoblade and fire emblem is they're like these fan bases are so hardcore that they'll <laughs> just buy it so there's no point in us putting it on switch online it's not they have those fan bases wrapped around their little finger and oh exactly and well, here's out the th- them games here's the thing that i actually really don't like about nintendo dlc is they will have a piece of the dlc oh, God, which yeah. is like this is the main thing that you want in the meantime here's a t-shirt for link it's like fuck no <laughs> what are you doing like it's it's really uh there's just so much tat right yeah like it feels like that first breath of the wild stuff i was like i don't you know it's kind of cool as an idea like the whole the first wave was you get the the line on your map and there's like a kind of it's like combat challenge stuff combat like challenge it's, tower thing. it's almost yeah. cave of war deals esque which actually is really were, interesting right. in breath of the wild as opposed to other zelda games so it's actually kind of cool yeah. but um but then compare that to here's 12 more shrines right. and a full-on dungeon yeah and it's like and narrative mm, stuff yeah. as well with cutscenes, like yeah. and, and that's exactly exactly what they do 
um for xenoblade and fire emblem where it's like oh here's just here's some fucking bullshit for fire emblem it's just like i mean hector's there so shout out but like i don't know here's some fucking uh emblems you can engage with and it's like i already beat the game there's no reason for me to have these but you are a pretty hardcore fire emblem fan and that's not even doing it it's not even doing it for you so like you think of how hardcore the audiences that they're aiming this dlc at it is it's insane yeah that's the thing i don't know it in the end they get me because like the xenoblade stuff i was like you just oh, have a right moan about it but yeah, yeah totally but like the, <laughs> I'm, I'm inevitably i'm gonna buy that fire emblem engage dlc at some point right just to play the extra story content because that's the thing i actually want to play um and it's the same with with xenoblade where it's like they put out a bunch of uh like oh it's challenge battles and i'm like yeah i love the combat but i'm not i'm not gonna do challenge battles right um but they did add two new heroes which i was like oh that's good that's actual story content so i actually interested in that so but i was like oh, well i'll just wait until the dlc comes out and then i'll wrap back around to the main game and clean up all the side quests that i still had left over which still are a good amount because that game has a lot of stuff in it um but yeah i, I think um actually one of the better uh, dlcs was fire emblem three houses dlc the ash and wolf stuff was actually really good mainly because the map design in that dlc was way better than the main game and the difficulty was also pitched a lot better like it was really challenging and like some solid maps and some interesting new characters like narratively this, this was the the shredded crew in the gym in the dungeon team. yes yeah, yeah yeah yeah. the people who lived in the sewers yeah it was <laughs> those people uh the rats under the castle um yeah but it was it was actually really good like from a like narrative and also like just design perspective so i think that's actually it's actually one of the better ones they've done and i've the reason I've not played Engage yet is, first of all, I just have no fucking time to go back. But also, people have not had good things to say about the Engage DLC from like a design standpoint and difficulty mm. standpoint. I'm like, I don't know. I'll probably get around to it when it's cheap, but it's just, it's not standing out to me as something I have to do right now. So um, I will wait. But but yeah, you know, th- th- there's also been a lot of like more microtransaction-y stuff with Fire Emblem in the past. Like Fire Emblem Awakening sold map packs in the same way of like, oh well this one will get you more experience and this one will get you more gold i'm like well i'll just pay like one pound fifty for that i guess so now i have that permanently if i ever wanted to grind which i did end up doing for awakening for a lot because i played a lot of awakening even after i beat it um that was like you know the few months before we started doing the show so i was just like going back and just playing more awakening essentially you know just leveling up those child characters and stuff and all that sort of thing which i, I was enjoying a lot but um but yeah uh i uh i think dlc is cool and fun uh but it's often it's often something that i will think about secondarily compared to you know playing something new and that's often why i get around to it either later or if it's something i care about i'll just play it straight away out of the gate so um yeah and there's, there's some good stuff out there and i think like there's there's some kind of classic well-known pieces of dlc from that 360 era like the mass effect stuff is all well known um and um bioshock stuff as well so the bioshock um not burial let's see that was bioshock infinite dlc i can't remember the name of the bioshock 2 dlc minerva's den so minerva's den was really interesting because it was it was basically the team who made that went on to make gone home so it's like a really interesting like jumping off point for uh narrative kind of walking simulator style games is like that that kind of spawned some interesting stuff and i think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening with dlc in that era um and and yeah and now now it's just very commonplace and and everything has it so anyway dlc it's cool um yeah that's it 
Uh, I think that's, that's the, the uh, that's the show. That's uh, everything we've got for you today, folks. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, as always, uh, you can write your thoughts, your questions in, and Bally, you'll tell them right now where they can go to do that. Please send your emails to thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. We are in need of more emails. And Absolutely. there's also a channel over on our Discord server. Leave an email in there we'd also appreciate pop that. them in pop them in ask us some questions it's a good time and uh, we'll answer them on the show uh well that is going to close us out for today's episode but as always we'd like to thank thank some folks uh, obviously you can support the show on patreon.com slash this nintendo life where you can get bonus episodes we talk about lots of different things uh, nintendo video games we do bonus bits where we talk about a bunch of stuff and um we're, we're going to talk about mandalorian season three That's absolutely yeah i do a bit bits. of that um uh, but also uh you know sometimes uh, i'll pop some stuff onto the five dollar tier like my mm. travel log to america i'll be doing mm. one for japan probably one for germany as well there for we gamescom go. in august uh, it's a traveling year so uh, if you want to uh, hear those then head on over there um but bally would like to thank thank some patrons yes thank you to our ten dollar tier plus patrons they are zach s thomas matthew albert and wicked gamer uk alan thank you all for your ten dollar tier plus support but thank you to all of our other patrons it's hugely appreciated the support that you give the show absolutely uh, if you want to keep up with us on social platforms you can go to twitter and maybe it will log you in maybe it won't i mean it wasn't doing that for me yesterday the entire thing was really? broken it was fucking broken it was just a goddamn fucking nightmare it continues to be worse and ever, worse every day but we're still here uh, and i'm on there you can follow me at lord nbz where can they find you bally i'm at ballyman91 that's b-a-l-l-y-m-a-n-9-1 Fantastic. You can also follow the show on Twitter at TNL Podcast. That's where you go for updates uh, and everything and links to places like YouTube, uh, where we put the show up, as well as on uh, our Discord, where you can uh, meet members of the community, hang out and chat. Uh, and it's a good time and we chat about lots of fun things over there lots of persona chat over there as well uh if if people want to be chatting about persona because uh obviously that's on nintendo now and um yeah it's uh it's one of those series i, I, well, I want to replay those but they're really long games you know but if you want to have some chat about it head on over to our discord that's some fun times over there um and yeah you can find the show in various places we're on stitcher we're on spotify uh, you can review us on apple Podcasts or on spotify uh, you can find us on any podcasting app just search for this nintendo life we'll be right there for you. you can download us subscribe and it will show up every couple of weeks in your podcasting feed um and uh, it's, it's a good way good way to keep up with the show and what we are doing um and i think that is going to do it for us bally is it next episode that the, the oh, Legend yes. of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom oh, will yes. have been out? Oh, um, yes. Yeah, so... I can do a little rundown of our recording schedule next little sure. while, because MBZ is off to Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm having a fun time. We're recording this episode a little bit early, because I'm off yes. to Ireland yeah. for a week. Uh, but the day I get back from Ireland, Tears of the Kingdom is coming out. That's May the 12th. Uh, and then we have an episode that will be coming out on monday the 22nd uh, mbz will already be in japan but we will make sure to give our first impressions of tears of the kingdom before mbz goes to japan mm-hmm. and that will come out as i said on monday the 22nd for episode 248 and then i think we mentioned it before but we've got a very special episode coming out yes. that we've pre-recorded episode uh-huh. 249 that will be coming out on the 5th of june that's episode 249 yes i still need to edit that one but i'm looking forward to that um yeah it, it may be like our lowest traffic episode in a while like the middle of like zelda uh but i think it's it's one of those that i'm very uh proud that we did and very happy with and uh i think uh, not many people will have 
uh, an episode like that. Uh, so right. uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to putting that one out there. So uh, yeah, uh, and then I'll be back. And then we'll um, be back in the spring of things because yeah. episode 250 is going to come around the oh, corner. Oh Jesus Christ! And then yeah, we might have to juggle up our Zelda thoughts and our top 50 games of all time. We might mm-hmm. have to. We'll see. We'll we'll see. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll try and fit in both. But Absolutely. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, look forward to it. Um, but uh, until then until next time we speak to you thanks everybody for listening see you soon until then have a good one bye bye folks interlude used on today was an absolute fucking banger aurora shelf from xenoblade chronicle 3 future redeemed copyright monolith soft and nintendo 2023